My oh my. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 320 Club podcast. Why is it called the 320 Club? Well, 420 was already taken, and happy hour is happening somewhere else. We're your hosts. I'm Whiskey. And I'm Rox. There's a little bit of a delay here. We're uh, we're doing this different. We probably uh, just for our listeners, we probably won't be uh, recording as much over the next uh, over the next little while. Maybe more so on a monthly basis. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at. We also got Cognac in here too. So say hi, Cognac. Hello. Anyway, so <laughs> I need to pour myself a drink. This is if this is how this is gonna go. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's it all good. It's all good, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Busy, 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 busy. It's been uh, it's been a wild ride the last uh, last few weeks. Cognac, how are you? I'm well. Uh, we've been in lockdown again for like two weeks now, so uh, you know, making friends with squirrels again. Yeah, how's that going? Because I heard it's up to they're going back to phase two or whatever for Ontario. But uh, how's it going over uh, in Quebec, Quebecistan? Uh, Quebec went, we were getting more than 1,000 cases a day for a bit. The the premier's getting criticized a little bit for dragging his feet on it. But I know that, you know, the, no, no politician's going to want to reinstitute lockdown, close restaurants again and everything lightly. So, uh, but I mean, he did take action earlier than the rest of the country, although we, we had it worse than the rest of the country. Uh, right. And we've been, it's been a week and a week and a half now that we've been in lockdown. Fortunately, Quebecers don't really care about Thanksgiving, so it's just a day off work. Uh, so there wasn't any major pushback on that one, but, um, you know, we'll see. We're, we're, we're in, uh, they designated originally three regions, Chaudière-Lapalache, uh, Quebec City, and Montreal as red zones, uh, but now the majority of the province is going back into it. The the barricades between moving between counties are, are going back up, um, and we're likely in this posture until at least October 28th, so we'll see what happens. What about you, Whiskey? What's going on? Oh, well, uh, my uh, my uh, my job there in, in Ottawa, it uh, they've they've been keeping uh, like a fifty percent uh, staffing level. So over there, it's like a Sunday every day. Um, so with that being said, uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a middle aged married man with two kids, so I I haven't really noticed, but they are clo- starting to close things uh, and take additional pre- precautions. So um, though I haven't noticed. Since I'm a middle-aged man, and all I do is go to Costco and the grocery store and come back anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my life is unaffected, but I I, I feel sorry for the, the you know the single people that are trying to get out there and and meet people and and do different things to make their lives fuller. It's uh, it's a little hard right now. I don't feel sorry for them. Why? Because now we all have to live like you. No, because you can just all you have to do is sit and think at the very worst. We have children to contend with. That was your choice. 
And the thing is, after they go to bed, you cannot leave the house. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's called child abandonment. (laughs) So... No, but yeah. but th- but things are good. Um, um, it's uh, you know it's it's an evolving situation, and uh, y- you know like I, I have two medically fragile children. So when people ask me what I did during the pandemic, I'm like I raised two medically fragile children, the most vulnerable sector of this whole thing going on, and I raised two of them. <laughs> but it's all good. But the fur- I got the furnace put in. It's all it's all working now. There's no sh- hauling of wood and. So now we're just reconfiguring the basement because the furnace takes up a lot of space and there's walls oh, okay. to move and and then on top of that the Ontario Autism uh, Grant is uh, is a very interesting concept. Uh, you need a, a, a referral, but you need to outlay the cash. So d- just think of this policy here. So one kid gets twenty thousand dollars. So if I was a poor or underprivileged family trying to lay out twenty thousand dollars and then maybe wait three months for reimbursement, you know that's a, a significant chunk of change uh, for, compared to the old services where you just wait in line. Um, so that's <laughs> that's fascinating. Uh, so we're, we're we're endeavoring to get that by end of fiscal year, uh, but that involves reconfiguring rooms as well. Hmm. So so drywalling, studying, you know the normal stuff. And the price of two by fours, like tripled. They used to be like three bucks. Now they're almost eight. In Ontario, when the first lockdown ended, my buddy ripped down his fence. He was going to rebuild it because it was all like rotten and soggy. He went to Rona and, and Home Depot and all these places, and they're like, they just they, that wood that you want does not exist. <laughs> like we could charge you, we could charge you ten times the price if we wanted, but it still doesn't exist. That's all the, right. There was a supply they issue. They weren't cutting down trees. Well, they weren't milling it, I think, was the bigger problem, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's all grade two. Like, I used to buy number grade one stuff, which is construction grade, and it all says number two on it. Um, they were straight. Home, home hardware was really good. Rona was all crooked and twisted, and it's like, I, I can't build with this stuff. It's like, I need a straight wall. <laughs> so, we found you know, the Rona wasn't too bad, but most of our stuff was in cedar, and cedar is obviously a hell of a lot. Because we were uh, doing uh, fence building and, sorry, not cedar, um, that pressure-treated uh, sienna crap. Yeah, but but that was that was a month ago. Like, the, the prices really radically changed in the last month. Oh, really? I, I have noticed. I've been away. I found, that, I found that groceries have gotten quietly significantly more expensive. Like, um, I used to be... <laughs> If I, when I did a grocery shop for a week, you know, because I eat mostly fresh vegetables and then uh, and, and 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 meat and stuff, I would spend maybe a hundred dollars to feed myself for one. But now an average grocery shop is in the one fifty to two hundred range. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you can afford it, Mister Tesla. <laughs> Mister Lagavulin, nightly. Oh, the Marxism again. You're just like the government of Quebec. Punish them with money. Not, oh, for fuck's sakes. There's nothing to do with it. <laughs> uh, so, the Marxism again. Okay. I've come back from that, okay? I went through a healing process. <laughs> now I'm better. <laughs> as long as you're able to accept you for yourself these days, you know, that's what I have accepted capitalism into my heart. 
I am a born again capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> it only took us two years. Just uh, <laughs> sorry, say that again. So it only took us two years. <laughs> no, I uh, I just started listening. I started listening and observing, and not uh, not actually contributing to the conversation. And then I realized, holy shit, there's a lot of fucking Marxism out there. It's kind of disturbing pretty when you see people is. on social media like call for eating the rich. Has he heard about this thing? They, they want to like cannibalize the rich. I, 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 I'm convinced that's an allegory. I know it's an allegory, but it's just hilarious. It's, it's weird. It's little jokes, little jokes like that that keep popping up. Oh yeah. But old people are mostly rich. People are mostly old, and like old cows taste gross. So, (laughs) I know it's it's. uh, I I think it's a it's a balance of of things that are going on of like misinformation and and people just trying to diversify, you know, entertain themselves, and then you take the the gullible that takes it seriously. So it becomes problematic after a while. But uh, yeah. speaking of evolution of of, of uh, cognac getting shorter and people not growing wisdom teeth and arteries that don't need to be there, did you, did you read that article about the the micro evolution we're undergoing? Was there like ten minutes of conversation that I just missed out on, and you just threw in there as a segue? <laughs> no, it was just an extremely well executed segue. <laughs> All right, carry on, whiskey. <laughs> well, I just was reading an article uh, about uh, microevolutions, how people aren't being bored with uh, wisdom teeth anymore. I wasn't born with wisdom teeth in 1988. Take that, people. I'm better than you. More evolved, anyway. And you're getting shorter. And you're getting shorter. I mean, no, maybe. We all do. And, you get- and, and your penis is getting smaller, too. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't matter because I have an orgasm every time I have sex. <laughs> uh, I miss talking to you guys. This is good stuff. <laughs> so, what are we drinking here? I understand it's it's morning uh, where we're recording. So, what kind of coffee have you got, or what kind of Bailey's did you put in your coffee? I'm just I'm just drinking good old good old fashioned black coffee, man. Nice. I got the this Costco Zelda freshly ground, put in a a uh, Italian carafe and boiled till it pisses everywhere, and then uh, you throw it a bit of cream, and away we go. Nice. And you call me pretentious. I just well, appreciate good things. Yeah, he used to fuck <laughs> around with coffee. The amount that I consume of co- the amount of coffee that I consume, I cannot possibly slow down for things like Italian carafes. This is true, which is why I've got a Nescafe three-in-one <laughs> instant coffee. <laughs> Tra- the classic traveler's companion. Yeah. Yep. You always throw a box of those. Yeah. Particularly yeah, sure if you go to like South America, where the coffee is atrocious. Or half of Europe, where it's either unavailable, like in England, or it's weird. Interesting. Yeah, and just make sure you book your dental appointment for when you get back. Speaking of dental appointments, I had my wisdom teeth taken out. 
when I was like 15 oh, and I was fully to, what's that be evolved like the rest of us no no I was told I had to have them taken out and I was fully conscious when they took them out they froze my I don't know if it was the uh, people at the time said they you were awake and I said yeah and I was like okay that was weird they normally don't do that no, it all depends how they how they grow in. So, like, I went to the dentist uh, last week, and she uh, it was pretty good. It's a good time to go to the dentist because there's no lineups. Um, the uh, it all depends how they come in. So she says, you know, you're missing a hell of a lot of teeth. I'm like, yeah, I had them all pulled up to be normal. <laughs> but anyways, but it was saying as we evolved, our teeth are getting a little bit smaller. I uh, I went to the dentist like two weeks ago and he, and he asked me um, when the last time I flossed was. And I told him that you know you were there, bro. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good joke. <laughs> he, he didn't find it nearly as funny as I did. The change in our teeth has to do with the change in our diet. How our food is more refined. It's not. Makes it's sense. not about. It's about not about the you know the ripping and gnashing and as we have like the uh, fine ground sausages and um, it's our food is designed to meet our mouth instead of uh, the food being ripped off the animal it came from. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense, and yeah. like like the wisdom teeth thing. I I presume wisdom teeth were there because like the understanding was by the time you were about eighteen to twenty years old, you'd have lost some molars from. Just like grinding them down to nubs or whatever, so they were there as replacements. I guess we just don't uh, need and, them. And, and there was, there was, sorry, yeah, and you're right. And, and the article cited there was there was further mastication involved uh, in grinding your food down because it was less refined. So I mean, anyone that's tried to eat like just a bag of kale, you know, there's plenty of mastication going on there. We don't eat raw leaves as much anymore. Yeah, that may, it all makes sense because we've kind of like we've evolved to we've changed our like, like our living accommodations. You know, we, we've suited our food and our environments to us as opposed to vice versa. So, well, haven't our jaws gotten smaller, too, like overall, like not just like, yeah, you were saying the size of our mouths, including our but our brains have gotten bigger. Some people's. Some people's. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I mean, if you look back at like pictures from the late 1800s, early 1900s, we've gotten a lot bigger. Now that's down to like proper nutrition and stuff. But it would, it would make a lot of sense that that we're starting. You know, cooking cooked food is not a new phenomenon. It's been, you know, hundreds of years we've been eating things that are better prepared for us to eat so it would make sense that over these hundreds of years yeah i can't see it being a thing of the la- a product of the last 20 years it's because evolution doesn't work like that but you know it would make sense to me. it's like the elephants being grown or being born with smaller tusks because all the ones with big tusks are poached right the uh the article yeah. that whiskey exactly. brought up was that that uh like this is one of the fastest they call it microevolutions in human history yeah, sure. Lots more kids being born these days than there used to be, and a lot more of them well, living. No, but your, your dinosaur uh, comment, there, or sorry, your dinosaur, uh, elephant comment there. Do you think dinosaurs how, know 
I got cross. Yeah, so but I was thinking big, but uh, elephant. Uh, how the elephants with big tusks are killed off, whereas in the, the the corollaries is true for us. People that would normally have died are now living and procreating, and yes. include people that were normally unable to carry children to term are now carrying children, which carries on potential uh, genetic formations along right. with it, um, for better or worse, because those evolutions are change things, right? So that's uh, that's what's also said in the article. But if I if I turn it around, throw it back at, at uh, coronavirus, and I always say it takes 21 days to make a habit, whether it's good or bad. Um, we've been now doing this for what nine months, almost nine months. So at least uh, six, so no, months. no, 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 seven months. It started. What, yeah, in, but it sort of started. Well, the official lockdown started in March. The big, the big push w- happened in March, but it, this thing went back. Started in China in the, the November fall. of last year. Uh, exactly, late fall last year, and then moved moved across the world. And it hit us. Started hitting us in January. March the lockdowns lockdowns were imposed. Um, so you, you know, depending on what you, you we started the date. So the change in culture, I guess, the rapid start days. You're right, would be March. Um, so it is now 10 months, so seven months or so, uh, long enough to create new habits. Uh, people aren't, aren't shopping and browsing anymore. Stores are closing. The rapid evolution of our capitalist society, I would say, is, is now changing. So what are your thoughts on that micro, this micro-evolution back to the COVID period? How do you, like, how do you mean, like, um, in terms of our economy, the way that it's, like, you, you think that, and do you think that like in things like inflation are increasing at a much steeper rate because of like people are just shopping from home left right and center all the time until relief payments stop showing up well well think about it so you don't correlate relief payments well you can i guess in some ways i'm um, i'm being i'm being flippant no no the consumer price index is a way of measuring inflation okay which is a, basically a grouping of selected products in order to uh, understand the growing price is two by four is one of them. Now you think about two by fours correlating to the price of a um, to the price of, of a house, and a house is a driver of economies. <clears throat> looking for a slowdown um, because you know construction workers can work in a, a dispersed environment. They're not they're and they're typically outside. So that's one of those parts of the economy that could, you know, technically ride out these types of things, um, but they're they're not quite there. Um, you have winter coming, which forces people indoors, uh, and the restaurants were getting by with patios. Now those patios may not be the most viable option. Uh, you start seeing how that's going to change the economy, and the economy has to evolve to support what the consumers are spending their money on. So you can get a benefit, but if you can't spend it, it's no good to you. Right. That makes sense. Well, even this summer was just a complete anomaly, like not just with coronavirus, but uh, well, primarily because of coronavirus, everybody was inside for the colder months. And then as soon as, you know, the summer months started hitting, that's when everybody wanted to get all their construction projects done. I don't know if it was like there was an increase in demand uh for for supply and like building construction projects but the supply certainly wasn't there i mean we've already kind of talked about that there there definitely was an increase in demand um so the part of the reason that 
any kind of like home, anything Home Depot sells, like fucking gazebos and lumber or whatever yeah. the hell barbecues, those were all extremely hard to come by. My neighbor here works at a, a furniture store, uh, one of the largest, like it's like a Quebec only kind of Leon's thing. And uh, electroménager, like um, appliances, were they're on back. They were on back order until October in June. Um, basically, what people did, at least here in Quebec, was take the you know five, three to five to ten grand or whatever that they would normally spend traveling on a vacation, and they reinvested that in like their outdoor patio space, or they they redid their kitchen, or all these things that. Um, they might not have done so there was a there was an increase in demand at a simultaneous decrease of supply yeah so that's so that uh, that's true and and uh you just think of uh now students are opting to learn from home so uh i have a an employee she says you know can i buy one of your printers because it's impossible for me to do my tutoring uh work from home because it's impossible for me to buy a a decent printer from canada computers or and the major re- other retailers because uh, supply is so low with the back to school, people learning from home, people working from home. So you have a confluence of normal people would have these commercial centers inside their, their major office place to work. And now that, that they no longer have access to it. Um, so that's pretty cool. So I would say that's an evolution. The evolution of the online business seems to be a big one. Look, my wife... Uh, yeah, the home office, like my wife's business uh, was doing pretty well over the summer. She's kind of in a lull right now, which is she's thankful for that because uh, obviously kids and and uh, and all that all that kind of crap. But but yeah, like business was still it's still booming. Every people like specifically with my wife's business, she she does um, like accessories and food distribution for like small pets and that kind of stuff. Like gerbils, hamsters, rabbits, that kind of thing, and uh, and so it uh, like people got to take care of their pets, their little their little pets especially too. Yeah, that's potential food in whiskey's house. Yeah, for your chickens, your twenty five chickens that you split three ways somehow. No, no, no. I now I'm down to eighteen. I got I got I got six to my friend. Oh, uh, that's much more. And I got, uh, I think, it looks like in the bunch, I got two roosters, so those will be given away. Uh, they're going to live their life on a farm and procreate. Why don't uh, they get pet? What? Why don't you eat them? It's a big mess, man. <clears throat> there, there's there's work and then there's work. Yeah, you got to, like, chuck it, cut you off its head. Did you got to pluck it. I mean, so you have to scald it, then you have to pluck it, and then that, I just... It's too much work for, for. Listen, you know how much a chicken costs. Well, that's. I was just. I was just about to say. I made. Uh, I made a chicken dinner for Thanksgiving because, like, here, obviously, we can't have people over, and and a turkey would have been a bit excessive even for me. Um. So I made. I made like a, a big chicken and stuff. But I've always wondered at the grocery store why at at IGA a a, a two pound or a four pound chicken was like twelve fifty, which isn't bad, right? Um. For four chicken breasts, it's like twenty bucks. But at the same time, for nine ninety nine, I can buy an already cooked rotisserie chicken, and that always confuses me. Why the you know the unprepared version somehow costs more than the prepared version? Yeah, I don't get that either. It's weird. Well, like okay, you get uh, oh, no, they're, they're different like I'll get an unprepared whole chicken for like 
10, somewhere around 10 bucks, usually if it's on sale. $12. And I usually do like uh, 12 50 Yep. Well, 7 or $9 now at Costco. Um, but yeah. it's they're different. They're different kinds of chicken. Yeah, but at Costco uh, you got to buy a pack of six, so I can't eat that. No, 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 you don't. You can buy <laughs> you can buy a prepared one. We talk about the same thing you do right now. They have a big rotisserie oven there, so um, you can get you what I fund, fund your your Costco membership justification just on rotisserie chicken alone. Um, but uh, no, they're different species of chickens. But it, and if you notice, the chicken breast that you buy in the pack. The meat pack is bigger than the one you get on the rotisserie chicken. So the the chicken you you buy in the rotisserie is called a roaster chicken, and the other one's called a meat chicken. Aren't all chickens meat? They're raised and bred to be different things. It's like <laughs> do, do you know not all dairy cows are, are not all dairy cows are the same. So if you go to the experimental farm in in Ottawa you'll notice that they have all the different cow species that we raise here in Canada. And like the Jersey cow, the namesake for the Jersey milk bar is it has a higher fat content than the other dairy cows. Ah. An experimental farm sounds a little bit scary. Like I know, it's, I know it's completely innocent, but it's just like, it's just the way that, that Hollywood and, and obviously any field has research and experimentation going into it. Just the way Hollywood's like treated anything experimental as like the big boogeyman, like the experimental whatever the fuck in Stranger Things that produces psychic kids or, or demon holes or whatever the fuck was going on in that show. Oh, you mean um, CIA? Yeah, like anything experimental <laughs> in Hollywood's like a byword. I think it's an Americanism that they just vehemently oppose progress of any type. So, you know, anything experimental kind of carries this negative connotation. There is some truth in the negativity, though. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I've been reading this book. It's called um, uh, Chaos. Charles Manson, the CIA, and the uh, the the untold story of the 1960s or something like that. It's fucking fascinating. It's all about uh, – it's basically this guy, Tom O'Neill. He's an investigative journalist, and he spent the last 20 years – investigating the Charles Manson murders um, in 1969. And what he, he, he was given basically an assignment by his magazine publisher uh, to do like the 30th anniversary. And as soon as he did a little bit of digging, he was like interviewing the prosecutor for the trial, <clears throat> interviewing a couple different people who were witnesses at the trial. As soon as he did a little bit of digging, it un, like he turned up this incredible like – like it, it was like a conspiracy on on a level like on like JFK levels. Like it's pretty crazy. It was pretty neat. Like I know you you've got your thing to say about government trusters there, cognac. But man, like the evidence, the like well, I can't say evidence, but the way that this guy reported it, he tried he did his very best to um keep his you know keep his a personal opinion keep speculation out of the whole out of the whole book uh and it's all all of the accounts that he's gotten from uh from the uh from the whole situation it's fascinating yeah so it was what's really interesting is, is that people need to understand is the, the whole thing about seven degrees of separation okay so 
means pretty well everyone in the world, or at least in North America, is connected by seven degrees. Okay? So, it, so hold on a second. And anyways, so what has what has to happen, what, what people need to understand is, do you know jo uh, John from Nebraska? Okay? Chances are, if you, if you reach out west by seven degrees, someone's going to know John from Nebraska. Because we live in these communities, and we, as we travel, we, we tend to, to reach out in these communities. So if I can link uh, people by seven degrees, I can link effects by seven degrees as well. So it stands to reason that it doesn't matter what project you work on. Uh, let's say Government X uh, invested, um, you know, uh, you know, a billion dollars in a wee charity for whatever benevolent reasons is people can easily go back and say it was linked to this, this, and this, and this, and that's why they did it. Well, part of it may be true. Part of it may not be true. Okay. And I just throw it out there because it was a controversial issue, but you, you need to understand that, um, especially parliamentarians, the, you know what they, they pick up what they, they want to do and the outcomes, and they don't always necessarily read all the, the facts. And that's what gets them to trouble. So kind of what you're saying is they're almost like champions of correlation and causation and they link them all the time? Yes. And we know right. correlation doesn't prove causation. We do know that. I've 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 <laughs> I've been suckling at the teat <laughs> for like two years of you saying that. <laughs> the question is how many times do you actually use that at work and how many times did you say it? Uh, I say it a lot more now begrudgingly every time i say it, i think of you and it i throw up in my mouth a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and because you know i'm right no but seriously no but seriously this book this book is fascinating you gotta you gotta at least um listen to the podcast that uh that uh tom o'neill did with uh joe rogan a few months back and he was talking about the cia programs in in uh, california COINTELPRO is one of them. I can't remember the name of the other, but uh, it was it was all about trying to, and and MK Ultra was a part of it as well, trying to get people to, basically trying to find out ways to get people to assassinate other people without them having any memory of doing so. Um, so using substances like LSD were, was a big part of it, which was a major part of the uh, major part of the uh, the '60s movement, especially at, near the end. When you want to hear some irony, so What's that? At, the, at the same time with those McCarthy-style politics, people are trying to be fearful of the Bolsheviks movements and, the, and sort of the, the communist movements and stuff like that. Yeah. At the same time that they're saying, at the same time they're trying to brainwash people not to be brainwash <laughs> that's right that's right that's all part of the book it's it's like it's like almost religious like zealot like religious persecution of anything to do with the left in the uh in uh back in the 60s under mccarthyism well mccarthy was in the 50s more so but uh especially under uh oh christ who was the director of the fbi the famous one hoover hoover uh, Herbert Hoover? J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah. Her Herbert was the president. That's right. Yeah. I always confuse the two. <laughs> J. Edgar, the, the cross-dressing one. That's right. Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. 
<laughs> what is he going to do? Come back from the dead and sue me? I mean, it's just not nice to talk about people like that. Come on now. You can't say you've never worn a skirt <clears throat> as a joke. I, I, I can, can say that. <laughs> I, I, I can say that. <laughs> no, it's not that he was cross-dressing that's the problem. It's that he persecuted anybody who was and then was cross-dressing. There's like the the hypocrisy, the, the what is it? I heard on uh, I heard on I've been watching Curb Your Enthusiasm a lot lately, which is a hilarious <laughs> show. It's it's a, it. he's basically like a babbling he's a babbling brook of bullshit. That's a, a Larry David quote. I love it. Anyway, once you done that, like once you got to remember the thing was like once, they were using they were using the hypocrisy in the J Edgar Hoover thing is they were using the. The, the red scare as a as a trumped up excuse to persecute the homosexual community as well or the LGBTQ community before it got that name because That's right. of like this this kind of um, this kind of weird circular logic where they thought that you know because they're gay and they have to hide it um, they're they're open to communist exploitation so we need to persecute them harder instead of you know, um, just making it not be such a big deal to be gay and then remove that lever of influence. But, or, you know, maybe just having a dialogue with another human being. That, that's yeah. an option, too. That's always an option, but it's an option that it doesn't support tribalist arguments. So, I mean, we're kind of looking at we're seeing that right now. The the divide is it's it's, it's so intense. We're neighbors to their south but anyway i don't want to get too much into that i imagine you guys don't want to talk about it that much either because really what can we do well oh i think it's important to understand you know there's that always that fear of what we don't understand and fear of differences but letting our culture evolve at the same time let her let, let her culture evolve at the same time as as uh, you know, the situations around us evolve. So communism is an ideal founded for a certain reason um, and a certain and it answers certain needs. As we go through our microevolution, we're, we're we're evolving a based on a set of needs. And you know, it's uh, there. I mean, there's need, needs you go on the spectrum of good, bad, and and self interest. But I mean, most as long as we work together to to improve the societal needs, our ability to, you know, uh, protect the planet, protect our people, and protect our economies. <clears throat> I mean, we, we all have a future, right? Um, but if this, I think but those just, are two big problems. Which ones? Like protect our, you know, protect our people, protect our economy. That's a pro. Like, that's too big a problem for the individual. Like, I think those are two. I think if you just scale everything down to just looking out for your local community, like Cognac and I have had this discussion before about like just the in the way that we vote. You know, I see so much vitriol on Facebook from fellow Canadians talking about the American election. And it, you can tell that half of Canadians don't even know how to fucking vote in their own elections. Yeah, I mean, also, 
I get it. You cannot like the POTUS. You cannot like either candidate, but you also can't vote in that election. So, you know, yeah, it's important what happens because obviously what happens in America has a massive effect on us. But um, you can't vote in it. So I don't know why you Canadians spend so much time on it. Yeah, it's, you have no control over it. So they, they spend so much time trying to influence as what I don't know who they're influencing. And then when it comes time to our own elections, they talk about voting at the federal level. And it's like you don't do that. Like you vote for your MP. That's the only federal election you do. But you don't vote for the prime minister. You don't vote for the premier. You vote for the person who represents your community. What's you only that? vote for the Prime Minister if you live in their particular riding. So Brampton for the NDP, uh, Montreal right. for Trudeau, Sheer, I can't remember, somewhere out west, I'd imagine. Yeah, he's in Alberta, I think. Oh, no, he's Saskatchewan. I think he's Saskatchewan. Yeah. Harper was Calgary. Mm-hmm. I don't know where Elizabeth May's riding. Probably Vancouver, if I was a betting man. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, I thought it was Victoria. Victoria is even uh, of BC of uh, 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 Green Party of Green Party. I think it's somewhere in Victoria. Okay, yeah, there you go. But yeah, I was on the right coast at least. So, uh, no, no. Uh, ironically, was it the other other seat is somewhere in uh, somewhere in New, New Brunswick? Brunswick? Yeah, Fredericton. Yeah, Fredericton. So. Um, ironically, they've probably cut down more trees in that area than anywhere else. (laughs) As someone, as someone who has driven through New Brunswick on multiple occasions, it's literally a highway cut out of trees. So they have plenty of them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm convinced nobody actually lives there. In New Brunswick? Yeah. Like they, they have like a gas station 300 kilometers from anything. I guess that guy lives on top of the gas station. I'm not sure what he did to like, if, that, if that's a sentence or like. It, and they just have that satellite in Edmonton. Yeah. <laughs> they just added an S to Edmonton. <laughs> oh, it's also spelled with a U. Steady. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> but that's just because New Brunswickers are illiterate. That's all. That's like, uh, that's like, uh, I think it was a Royal Canadian Air Force joke where they were sending their correspondent off to Ottawa. And he's just like, Ottawa? I thought you said Oshawa. And then he's reporting from Oshawa. Yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. Oh, whiskey saying the locals are, <laughs> the locals are getting <laughs> uncontrollable. Incontrollable. Uncontrollable. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. One. Well, we could uh, we could keep talking if you need to step out, whiskey. That's okay. Okay, I'll be back in a few. Okay. So so how, so how about that Formula One? What a great season this is. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna head you off at the pass by saying this was the first Formula One that I have ever watched and it's the first Formula One that I've ever watched in full. So I I am the layman. I am the layman and you're going to have to do a lot of the talking here. (laughs) Okay. So in the last few years, Formula One's had an issue. 
Um, it's always kind of gone through dynasties similar to the way the NHL did in the late 90s and early 2000s, where like in the early 90s, Williams was winning everything. Um, and then, right. you know, it kind of it kind of evolved. Ferrari had its time with Michael Schumacher and then Red Bull with with uh, Sebastian Vettel won four times in a row. And for the last like six, seven years, it's been all about um, all about Mercedes. Mercedes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, however, so in the last two years, the 2018 and 2019 season, um, which I think Formula One's getting a lot of interest right now or a, a lot of a new audience anyway because of that Netflix series about it, which is great because it, it kind of shows you all the behind the scenes stuff and, and helps people. Formula One's a pretty inaccessible sport, right? Like, you know, like people don't realize that the tires that they use on qualifier two and then into three, if they get in there, are the ones they have to start the race on and there's controls on how many sets of tires they can use and their strategies are at all that it's, it's a very interesting strategic sport all about like, when do you pit? Do you do a one stop, a two stop? You know, do you need to gain a lead? Do you pit under a virtual safety car? Because it's basically a free pit stop probably, which is what we saw uh, this past weekend. Um, the thing is that uh, it's, it's, it's quite inaccessible. So I think there's a new audience coming in, but even that new audience will have realized that if they watched uh, the the you know the 2018 and 19 seasons, which the two seasons that uh, that that show covers, it was all Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull on the on the podium. This yeah. year is unique uh, in a lot of ways, um, where we've had seven teams get a podium spot. Uh, uh, Racing Point, uh, which next year will be Aston Martin Racing, uh, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, obviously. Uh, McLaren's had a podium. Uh, Alpha Tories had a podium, which is like Red Bull's kind of second team, kind of. It, it, it's like their junior team, essentially. Uh, and uh, and then this past weekend, for the first time since 2011, Renault's been on the podium uh, hmm. in place. So um, the the things are shaking up. Most of that's due to uh, Ferrari uh, just not being overly competitive this year. They're actually... Um, the way Formula One used to work was it was always the battle for the Constructors' Championship between Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari. And then everyone else competed for what they called best of the rest. So, like, they knew they weren't getting above fourth, fifth place, um, and that's what they were competing for. But now you have McLaren, Racing Point. Um, McLaren and Racing Point actually um, competing well for um, for for third place, which is, which is interesting because Ferrari has dropped right off. They're just not competitive. Um, although so, Charles is a phenomenal driver. So you're telling me that Red Bull is now making cars? No, no, no. Well, yes. Okay, yes. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> Red Bull, so the, the teams, okay, the teams make their cars. So all the aerodynamic, the chassis, um, all of that stuff, reliability, that's all the teams do that. Um However, they buy, unless you're Mercedes, Ferrari, or Renault, you're buying an engine, which is why if you looked at, um, when you were watching Formula One, if you looked at the end when it said where the where they finished, um, you get, you know, you've got Scuderia, Ferrari, um, but then you've got Haas, Ferrari, or, or, or whomever, um, and that's the power unit they're running. This year, Red Bull's running a Honda power unit, so Honda's making the engine for them. They used to. They were running Renault engines for a while. Uh, they switched last year in 2019 to 
But this year, Honda just just announced it was a shock to everybody. They just announced that next year they're not making Formula One engines. So Red Bull is going to be in a scramble next year to find a, a power unit that um, that'll work with their car. So they'll either have to go to Ferrari, Renault, or uh, or Mercedes for an engine. Which would be the problem is when to go to so Mercedes and Ferrari and Renault have the advantage in that they make their own engines. So they make their engines for their cars. Um, yeah. When you farm out an engine, you don't have that much control over how it's made. Obviously, Ferrari's not going to make, like if you buy a Ferrari engine, they're not just going to make a shittier version of what they already make. Or they're not supposed to because um, it, it, no one would ever buy those engines again, right? Um, right. But you do lose a lot of the control aspect. Next year, they're actually putting in a, um, like, similar to the NHL, when they were trying to, to change the league up, they're putting in a um, a salary cap. But go ahead with your question. So, okay. Now, because the, you know, you have these, uh, let's say, changes in the establishment right you've got uh you said mercedes and ferrari seem to have been at the top for the for the most part but now you're having these new challengers come in i heard something about is this because uh of changes in regulations that the f1 um you know the the administration or whatever of f1 has implemented and so everybody has to adapt to that yeah, so that happens every year. So the FIA every year will institute new regulations. So teams are allowed to make certain developments and upgrades to their cars over the over the course of a season, uh, right. which is why you sometimes see a team um, performing poorly at the beginning of the season because it turns out their car wasn't um, doing what they thought it should, uh, and then they perform better as the season goes on. McLaren's an example. This season they unveiled a new uh, front wing design that, that – uh, simultaneously decreased drag but increased downforce um which is always the the payoff right you you want more downforce for more grip on the car but the more downforce there is the more drag there is so the slower you accelerate and the slower you you hit top ends and now for 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 your knowledge what we're talking about here when we talk about these upgrades and and just to understand the the threshold of engineering and the and the marvelous machines these are formula one cars Formula One cars are putting out, they're topping out at about 317 kilometers an hour with DRS. Yeah, I was watching that. I was watching the the speedometer go up on the screen and went from like 60 around a hairpin corner or maybe even 100 around a hairpin corner to like 300 within like fucking two seconds. It was insane. Normally about about, about 120 is about the slowest they want to be going because under that they're not getting any downforce. They need a certain amount of... They counterintuitively need to take corners slightly faster than you would think oftentimes because they right. need the downforce to keep them stuck to the to the ground. Um, but these There's cars about the engineering, like they in order for them to operate, they need to go fast. Y- yes. They, but because they're 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 designed for they're designed for downforce. So for the stability and the grip, they need um yeah, they they otherwise they they're basically on hockey pucks. It's why they were complaining so Yesterday, both Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen were complaining when they were following the safety car after uh, after Norris's uh, breakdown. They were complaining about their tires getting cold, and you see them all the time doing that weaving. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to keep the tire. 
Yeah, they're trying to keep some heat in the tires. And it was particularly tricky yesterday because the track temperature was about 15 degrees centigrade, uh, which is really cold. So if they don't have any sort of speed, they'll just slide on hockey pucks. It's like being on summer tires on on very cold asphalt, um, hmm. but obviously expanded. And you've got to remember that these cars, these are, these are 1.6 liter twin turbo hybrid engines, right? Putting out this amount of speed. Uh, they're six cylinders. Uh, they're putting out this amount of performance. But everything in Formula One is down to the thousandth of the second. So that's the that's the threshold of minute engineering that they're on and on about. You know, uh, 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 you saw you saw um, you saw yesterday a few times uh, people pitting in um, because they had a lockup. Well, they had a lockup because it was cold and their tires weren't warm enough. Ah. And then they they accidentally had a lockup. What that meant is they slid for a second or two which blisters or, or puts a flat spot on the tire. And you could actually see it when you were riding on board with uh, Alex Albon before they retired him. You could see the whole car vibrating on the right side because there's a flat Shit. spot on the tire. Um, yeah. They're dealing with, they are on such, they're on the razor's edge of performance at all times, which is why the engineering that goes into this is incredible. And the money is is ridiculous. Um, yeah. Mercedes spends about $500 million a year. Ferrari and Red Bull, about the same. Uh but next year, one of the FIA regulations that's coming in is a budget cap at 145 million, which is slightly more than Williams spends, which is the team that spends the least because they have the least money. Um, mm-hmm. But the idea is to try and even out the playing field because people over the last five, six years have been getting a bit bored of watching Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari win everything. Well, it was interesting. Like I was watching with a couple other fellows here and um and they were talking about uh, it's Lewis Hamilton, right? Um, Hamilton, he's basically he, he just it's like he's going for a Sunday drive, whereas everybody else is trying to compete. And he was like head and shoulders above everybody else. Like, and, and then he's the he's far and away the best driver in Formula One, and he's yeah. in the best car right now. He's in the that's what they kept saying. Yeah, it does. But, it it's. But I mean, it's yeah. not a Sunday drive. This guy is still, you know, when they when they break into these hairpins, they're pulling five G, right? Because they're decelerating so rapidly. He's not. Wow. Still an incredible driver and an incredible athlete. He just also happens yeah. to be the best car. It's unfortunate for Max Verstappen, who and actually Charles Leclerc as well, because the two of them, the way they drive, they have the hallmarks of world champions as well. But until the playing fields evened out a little bit with Mercedes, they won't. They won't. Um, they won't get there. They just. They just can't. Um, so Lewis Hamilton just tied with Michael Schumacher's record. You were telling me he's at ninety-one wins now. Yeah, there was actually two kind of records last weekend. So Kimi Raikkonen set the record for most for uh, Formula One race starts at 323. Uh, and Lewis Hamilton tied Michael Schumacher's record for 91 Grand Prix wins. Um, wow. There's five Grand Prix left in this season. Um, so ideally, he'll win one more to break the record at that yeah. because next year it'll, it's a bit up in the air whether or not um, these budget caps are going to really impact Mercedes. Ferrari and Mercedes have kind of lobbied against it. Uh, they get criticism for from the smaller teams for basically trying to remain big fish in uh, in a small pond uh, right. or bully the little guy. But Ferrari, you know, th- their argument is they have, you know, 1,100 employees. And if the, if the budget goes down too much, they can't afford to pay them all. Uh, uh, 
So the kind of compromise that's been made because of certain because certain teams make their own power units, their own uh, their own engines, and other teams don't. The compromise that's been made is that the drivers' salaries and the engine uh, does not is not capped at that hundred and forty five million. That that's an that's a separate expense. But that okay. five million is generally speaking for everything else. I mean, you can read the FIA's uh, regulation change page. It's long and in, in legalese as as anything uh, of this type of of, um, of nature is. Also, their tires, obviously, Pirelli supplies those. They, they don't they don't pay for those, but um, they're trying to make it a, a more even playing field. Interesting. Whiskey, you got anything? You're back. Yeah, they finally got the the locals settled. <laughs> I mean the the engine whiskey. You must love the engineering side of Formula One. These are I, I, I I I mean there. I was. I'm always fascinated by by the mechanical engineering. Being, I'm an electrical engineer, but uh, it's uh, I'm fascinated by the mechanical side of it. I mean, I have my own CNC machine. I, I, I love I love building. I love industrial complex. I love the research. I love the tolerances. Uh, um, I just. I don't because of sheer volume of everything around me. I, I don't I haven't really gotten into that part of it, but I am fascinated. I'm fascinated by it. The the electronic engineering actually in modern Formula One cars is huge because starting um, I think it was two or three years ago the ERS system, electronic recovery system. Uh, basically, all the all the cars are hybrids now, and they. So my Tesla, when I when I off the gas, it uses that to charge up the batteries. They use it in a similar way that the Acura NSX does to provide a boost. So they get like a like a hybrid boost. They also have the DRS, which each track will have DRS zones, which allows the back. They're allowed to open their back wing if they're within a second of the person ahead of them, basically to to make overtaking a bit easier. Because there was a while that like as it you know as long as you survived the the first turn carnage in the first lap that was more or less your position for the rest of the race uh, barring right. pit changes because all the cars are so similar um so they've done a, a few uh, regulation changes to make it more interesting to watch uh, and to allow for more overtaking and actual racing um other than just tire wear which is also a huge factor on on the race i don't know um uh, rocks when you were watching how many times did they mention tires over the course of the what hour and fifteen minutes of the Grand Prix? Oh, like every three minutes or something like that, right? Right. And it like was, what strategy? Was on what crazy. color tires are they using? Which compound are they on? Yeah, it's huge. yeah. It was either soft or softer medium tires or something like that. Most of them were using soft medium. Uh, a couple teams were on hards. So basically, the way that the tires work is there's there's multiple compounds. Uh, they're all made by Pirelli. Uh, they're all the exact same, like each each type of compound is the exact same. And then they, they'll they evaluate, Pirelli will send their engineers out to evaluate a track and they'll determine which of their, you know, three to five compounds of soft, medium and hard respectively are the ones that will be issued for the race. And each team has access to a certain amount of them. But go ahead, Whiskey. Uh, okay. Yeah, but what's fascinating? I'm just going to bring it back to the, the back to the center uh, a bit. So what you're seeing is the cars are now able to better adapt to the environment, and and inside the car culture, you, overtaking is part of that car culture inside that that little race. And you see the cars being able to adapt better to outperform other people. So ERS is electronic uh, regenerative braking system uh, allows. You know that as they decelerate, there's a, there's a surplus of energy in the engine as the engine gears down and allows that to get transferred to a battery to be stored for later on. 
really it's, it's sort of like almost like the fat stores of human of mankind in the, in one sense is uh, <laughs> you know but you see it and then we they use that for the boost you see the changing in in you know in fin configuration to suit a, a more advantageous pr- perspective because before it was there were nuts and bolts and it was all about materials uh, and, and mechanics now the electronics are coming in to help to help change the dynamics of the car, so the car is adaptive in, in its circumstances, which is pretty cool. And it's not just the car itself. So, um, you know, racing drivers forever got a bit of uh, a bit of flack for being dummies. Um, but if you watch these guys now, um, you see in Formula One, they've got all those buttons on their steering wheel, and those are changing chassis setups. They can they change their fuel mix from rich mix to lean, so their fuel is capped for the race. They're not allowed to gas up during the race, but they can adjust how much of the fuel is actually going into the engine. So they'll you know they'll throw some rich mix in to get some more acceleration to get around a guy, but that overheats the engine and uses more fuel. So they're gonna have to go down to lean mix to 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 coast for a bit and recharge their batteries for ERS because they've used it on this thing. So the drivers are managing a lot during that race. They're not just managing gear changes and where they are on the track. They're managing the performance of the car. And um, you would have heard uh, last weekend rocks when the McLaren car was having some trouble, his team radio telling him strategy, you know, uh, Delta zero three or whatever. That's a setting he can set for them to try and diagnose the problem with the car back in on the pit wall where they've got all their data. So these, these race drivers are simultaneously the 20 best drivers in the world and semi engineers are always looking at data and graphs and everything and figuring out where they can get more out of the car. So, well, one of them I heard uh, it was Leclerc. It might have been Leclerc. He found out that he was racing in this race like the previous Saturday or something like that. <laughs> no, it was uh, Nico, Nico Hulkenberg. So Nico Hulkenberg drove for Renault in the 2018 and 19 season. He was actually he drove for eight seasons in Formula One, and he's right. got the uh, ignominious record of the longest. Um, the longest career in Formula One without a podium finish. So he was dropped off last year, but picked up as a reserve driver. And because Lance Stroll was ill, they brought him in uh, ah. for this one. And I think I think he very much deserved his driver of the day accolade because there was no practice um, in Germany this weekend because of uh, yeah. heavy So he, his first time in that car was qualifying where he qualified dead last. But I mean, at that point, your sep- first and last are separated by maximum two seconds. Uh, and then he finished eighth. So he gained 12 positions in the race, which is... That's pretty damn good. Spot. Yeah. That is pretty good when you think about it. I mean, I only know that <laughs> I say... I, that's pretty good when I'm the layman, but I say that because I watched Disney's Pixar Cars, and now I know. <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> I mean, you got to remember too, like Renault, Renault's getting Renault getting its podium this weekend. Um, it was a huge deal, but what was a major contributing factor to that? Uh, Mercedes and Red Bull both had a DNF. They both had a, a car breakdown. So that's uh, right. There was like had Beltry, had Beltry who, Bottas not had mechanical issues. It's it's doubtful that Renault would have been there. It would have been a one-two Mercedes again. Yeah. No, it was uh, it was it was pretty interesting seeing like four cars follow. What I was fascinated by was how quickly, not just the, the pit stops with the car, the the tire changes, but uh, when the front, uh, I think it was the front, uh, is it the front spoiler wing. or the front front wing, 
fell off the one car. They just came in, plucked it off, put on a new one, and he was out in like less yeah. than three seconds. That was pretty fucking cool. Well, no, a front wing <laughs> is normally around six seconds. But yeah, Lewis Hamilton was actually so one of the things that was a disadvantage for him in this race is his pit stops for a tire change were were about three and a half seconds. Um, normally they sit around the 2.3 to 2.4 second range. Williams actually set the record last year at 1.7 seconds, uh, for changing all four tires. Um, but that, that, you know, in a race where every second counts, that fact that Lewis Hamilton's pit stops were 50% longer than, um, Max Verstappen's was a huge deal. Um, but it's because a member it- of a member of Hamilton's pit crew tested positive for COVID-19. So his entire oh, crew is in isolation. So this was like the reserve pit crew. And oh, they're doing it in less than four seconds. That's intense. That's crazy. Well, I mean, it really, I mean, if you think about it, it really didn't make a difference for the majority. He was like, he was like a full minute ahead of the third place. Uh, like yeah. he was, until he was at least that's right. He was at least nine seconds ahead and or somewhere between like 12 seconds ahead in front of the second place driver. And then he was a full minute, uh, a minute and like 30 seconds in front of the third place. Yeah. And he was actually yeah. running in that safety car was both a blessing and a curse for him because the safety car allows the field to bunch up. It's part of its job, but it also prevented him from having to uh, cut through all the traffic, which is always a bit problematic. Mm-hmm. A lot of the guys here to say something on that oh sorry uh, i was gonna say uh, a lot of the guys here were commenting on uh, lewis hamilton's belly aching because of that safety car yeah but so was max verstappen their tires were getting cold and and frankly it's a safety problem at that point because when they need to go they need to go um yeah. there was an incident in monza uh four or five weeks ago that saw four cars out of the race due to the um due to the the safety car restart because what happened because was they got, they got all bunched up. Yeah. So, well, what happened was that the cars all bunched up. And then the race leader has, until he crosses the, the start-finish line, to start racing again. So as soon as the lights are off, he can go if he wants, or he can wait a little bit. So what Bottas in that race did, which was smart, and he has every right to do so, was he kind of did a fake start. But the second-place car is not allowed to pass him until he passes the the, the, the line. So he did a bit of a fake start, and then he braked a little bit just before the line, which meant that uh, which meant that um, the second place car, Red Bull, um, had to brake harder, as as we see in traffic jams and stuff. Um, and then he gunned it at the line. But what that did is that as that passes that wave passes back through the pack like a traffic jam, is it meant the guys in the middle of the pack couldn't stop in time, and there was a massive four car collision. Um, the concern that yeah. uh, Hamilton and uh, Verstappen had was that uh, their tires were getting really cold and they might not have had, because it's a, it's a short run down to the first turn in Germany, um, mm-hmm. they were concerned they wouldn't have the grip to make it around that corner. And you saw it on the restart. They all went wide. The entire pack went wide because their tires were just not warm enough to, to, to grip them into the corner. Hmm, interesting. Hey, Whiskey, uh, it was great talking to you. I hope we uh, keep this up in the uh, coming months, if you're still here. Oh, I'm still here. I'm in the chat oh, there. cool. Oh, well, you said you had to go. No. 
No, need to go. Catheters and diapers. I was just quoting Cognac there. He says, when they need to go, they need to go. So I yeah. put that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, I thought you had to get your catheter changed. Yes, that's what I... <laughs> That's what it said in the chat. Need to go. Catheters and diapers. And you said later. And I said, okay. <laughs> I thought, yeah. Uh, no, you guys that was good. Really, I, that didn't, was I didn't watch the race. So you guys were going on something I, I couldn't really comment on. And, and, and tell there's uh, the small little snippets where I, I put the little jabs on, on ev- evolution to bring it back to the uh, central topic. Uh, so. Yeah. So it's you know yeah. the evolution of the evolution of the human involved in what's going on with the cars. But, is that what uh, I titled this episode? Catheters and diapers. I was of the mechanical engineering evolution of the regulations to rein in the mechanical engineering. It's all evolution. Everything's progress and changes, and a lot of what <laughs> we see on Formula One cars do end up on uh, on production cars at some point. Listen, I think wants to start his own Top Gear show, Canadian Top Gear. Fourth gear, eh? That's all we're allowed to use. Oh, fucking fourth gear, bots. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, some of the, the trucks have kind of like 10, um, uh, ten gear transmissions. Uh, yeah, phenomenal. But he, but the thing is, Most a lot road of it, cars like, now are, are, are any sort of performance automatic transmissions in eight speed, like Formula One is. Hmm. Do you do you know the uh, the, the transmissions for for the Bradleys or uh, Bradley Tank is made in uh, Kingston? What really? Uh, like what that, the Bradley, American, that American yeah. tank from like the seventies? Is it the Bradley or is it no? What's the new one called? Abrams, isn't it? Abram, yeah, Abram. So yeah, so they're made in they're made in Kingston here. I didn't know that. Yeah, I toured their factory. It's uh, by your old house. No shit. What a contract that would be, eh? Imagine if you make something like transmissions or fucking flywheels or some nonsense, and the U.S. Army is like, we're gonna need ten thousand units a year. <laughs> for well, how, that's it, all you have to do for the rest of your life is make stupid transmissions for the U.S. Army. Yeah, it, it was a fun, it was a it was actually a pretty interesting tour. You'd walk in, you'd think it's like um, just a small little mom and pop shop, uh, but then you you go you go to the warehouse and back, and it's just rows and rows of CNC machines cutting cutting it out, um, and and it's it's a very it's a fairly slow process, um, but the precision involved and the materials involved require a very slow uh, piece, and it's a really cool CNC machine. Essentially, it's a it's a wire fed coil uh, that pushes a very fine wire in in uh, a a piece of metal that's suspended in oil, and all this thing does is go along and cut it very slowly. And they got uh, and it's these types of machines you can't be there twenty four hours a day, so they have remote uh, remote sensors that that basically call the engineer if something goes wrong, and and the and the machinist. So it's uh, pretty fascinating things. Neat. So. It's, and but the, I would imagine the same process for the Formula One cars is that these same types of stresses are on these massive tanks, so they have the same kind of stresses on their on their transmissions. Well, they're dealing with two different. They're dealing with a similar issue from two different ways, right? Because like a tank weighs fucked if I know, but a lot. So probably like weight, twenty tons. Probably more than no, that. So the weight that they're moving 60, 60, 60 to one hundred tons. 
Oh yeah, shit! So the amount of weight that those transmissions have to move, it, it's it's going to put stresses on in the same way that like a Formula One car has to do. You know, over the course of a race, about three hundred and something gear changes um, at high speed, and you see them when you watch, like banging up and down through gears. You know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Fifth, fourth, third one, and, you know, they're, they're just, they're flying through the gears, so. And uh, yet the Americans will find a way to jump them off a ramp. <laughs> Those are that shit on Imager. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense, though. If you if you just drop the floor out from something, as long as it's got a little bit of forward velocity, it should be able to. Right. But the fact that these tanks can go fast enough to jump while weighing that much probably puts a huge amount of strain on transmission, the I mean the engine, whatever, it's gonna be made for that, but the transmission, the suspension, all that stuff would be intense. Yeah, and and just like the the because the, the, I, I mean engines aren't they don't like when you when you when you go high torque, high torque, high torque, no torque. <laughs> yeah. So because the, the driver doesn't know until a few seconds, a second or two after he realizes he's, he's, he's airborne, right? So yeah, and then well, yeah, you're just, and that, at that point you're just revving the shit out of it for nothing. And where, and where does the transmission sit? It doesn't sit, you know, in a nice protected area. It sits <laughs> in the bottom. You basically land on that thing. Yeah, yeah. And then you cannot imagine the amount of power that that thing requires, not just for. For driving, but for like you got the turret that you have to take care of and all that kind of shit too. The amount of power, like how big is the battery on that thing? Well, the so. most common mechanical failure in Formula One is transmissions, so I imagine it's probably the same for any vehicle that's doing any like high stress work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was what I was, was I met some engineers there from General Dynamics and they uh, land systems and they they um, uh, they. they um, but they don't understand that uh, soldiers, when they move these big vehicles around, they idle a lot more than they do drive, mm-hmm. because they just they lie in wait and they live in the vehicle and they, they maintain certain posts. So, so that 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 sense the reason like they're able to do something because um, um, in in many missions they, the, the vehicles are sit there static waiting for something to happen rather than actually going to and fro like a you know a transport truck, right. Huh? Idling does kill cars too. Like keeping it with with Formula One, you notice they don't start their engines until about ten to fifteen seconds before the race because those engines don't like running without doing something. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> so that's, I think that's probably a good place to start wrapping it up because we're over the hour mark. Yep, and um, I've got other things to do. Yeah, me as well. All right, man. So uh, I, I, I think today we talked about evolution. We talked about formula uh, uh, driving for uh, driving factors with evolution. So we have uh, our food is changing the way we eat, uh, and, and and that refined palate that we have as as uh, as a human being. We talk about evolution of human culture. We talk about evolution uh, drivers of evolution, coronavirus, uh, or how it's changing uh, our potential practices and our, in fact, our monetary system, our capital system. We also talked about how Formula F1, Formula F1, I should say, uh, is forcing evolution in our automobiles, and and how that translates into potential products of the future. Um, we talk about warfare a bit, um, but that also changes uh, our culture as well. Um, so. What I would say is, is that 
evolution affects the way we do it. It can be a force for positive change. It can be a force for negative change. Um, but to understand that there are drivers out there uh, that will drive change. And we need to be educated on, on how we, are, we rise out to meet challenge. We could do it positively. Like we embrace uh, uh, sexuality in, in, the, in modern times, or if we do it negatively, as we saw with um, the Bolshevik movement, McCarthyism. Um, but understand we need to take an educated approach to making these decisions. Without further ado, I am Whiskey. <laughs> and I'm Brock and Cognac. I have no idea how he did that. <laughs> They're so, those topics are so, I don't know how you interrelate them, but you did it, man. You did it. Fucking kudos to you. <laughs> did I say I'm Rox? I'm Rox. That was incredible. Yeah, that was impressive. That was the best summary I've ever heard. <laughs> You've been saving that one up for a month. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> well, we came up with the episode yesterday, so I don't think so. The, the trick is, the trick is, is uh, I, I push, I, I recognize where we want to go and I push those pizza, those things along the way. And I, I just push the little, the little markers in. They're like little breadcrumbs as we talk. All right. And, okay. And as okay. I push those little breadcrumbs in, you guys may change the topic a little bit, but I'll sway the topic towards my little breadcrumb. Okay. Settle down there, Hansel. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Your whiskey, I'm Rox. Thanks, Cognac, for joining us again. And uh, yeah. later, have a good week. week. <laughs> All of nature and its ways fly under the design out. Comes up, Charlie spins the world from the Asian minor. In between the platypus. All right. Haven't done a folk song in some time, it seems. So here's a song I found about evolution. It's called Charlie, named after Charles Darwin. You might not guess, however, that it is written and performed by that 90s one-hit wonder group, Jumbawamba. You know, the I get knocked down, but I get up again, you're never going to keep me down group. Yeah, that one. Speaking of famous Charlies, I want to put out a quick disclaimer because I feel it wasn't clear when I was shamelessly promoting Tom O'Neill's book during the show. Charlie Manson, we can all agree, was a sociopathic influencer who orchestrated mass murder. But the details surrounding the case and in particular the other personalities associated, are crazy, and there's talk of it becoming a Netflix or Amazon series. I'll include a link to the book and the Joe Rogan episode for your interest. Anyway, don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your weekly dose of whiskey and rocks, whether it's Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can help us out even more if you spread the word and share us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We are at Whiskey and Rocks one the link is in the description. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for more 320 Club. Over the river and over the sea, through holy storm and thunder, steer a course for a brave new world of common sense and wonder.